Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. My name is Julie Douglas. And this is a part two. This In our last episode, we talked about why mammals are amazing, why uh, prehistoric mammals are so extreme in their form, and uh, then we began to explore some of our ten favorite prehistoric mammals, ten favorite extreme prehistoric mammals. And we got through about three of them, and this episode is the continuation of that list. So, uh, if you like, go back and uh, listen to the other episodes so you'll get an idea of how we started rolling on this. But if not, if you're, uh, you know, if your, your iTunes skipped the last episode, don't be afraid to plow forward with this one. Indeed. And, uh, just to mention it, Extreme Mammals is an exhibit that is, uh, organized by the American Museum of Natural History. And, uh, that is what got us into all this craziness in the first place because they have a wonderful exhibit detailing these extreme mammals. All right. Well, first off, in this episode, let's talk about what I assume to be your personal favorite, because you've already blogged about it uh, once. So uh, introduce us to Macrokinia. Uh, yes, Macrokinia. Thin legs, long neck, prehensile snout, about 10 feet long and 500 to 1,000 pounds, we think. Uh, technically, the Macrokinia belong to a family of ungulates, which are hooved animals, and is a distant cousin of a horse. Yeah. And it evolved independently in South America in, uh, in the roughly equine direction here. So now those hooves, I should say, those are three-toed hoof feet, which are which which are really, in a way, kind of, kind of more like a rhino's. This this is one of those creatures that that kind of bleeds over into different models because kind of looks like a camel mm-hmm. in its basic dimensions. Then it has those uh, three-toed hoof feet. They're a little more like a rhino. There's a certain horsiness to it, uh, and then of mammothness. Course, mammothness is the big thing because, of course, it's trunk. Yes. Or suspected trunk. Yes. So if you, if you see this in the exhibit, um, if you're like me, you automatically go to Sesame Street and you begin to think about Snuffleupagus because this is what it looks like. In fact, I kind of wanted to pet it. I wanted to talk <laughs> to it. It's amazing. And it is sort of a jigsaw puzzle of animals. It's sort of like the platypus yeah. in the sense that um, you can see you can see the influence of different animals. Yeah, it's basically the jazz funk um <laughs> Blues fusion of uh, of animals, I think, and certainly he really does look like Snuffleupagus. The the illustrations we see of him uh, are are really cute. Yeah, that long trunk uh, would have been used to feed on low lying leaves of grass, but its horse like teeth point to this idea um, that it would have also been chomping on on grass. But the weirdest thing about this 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 guy is that. The nostrils are right up on top of the head. And at first it was thought that this feature would give um, the Macrocania some sort of aquatic leg up. In other words, mm-hmm. they could maybe wade in the water. But more likely, it's just the the uh, ideal position for the kind of hose nose yeah. that it's sporting. Like basically, because people look at it and you might say, well, how do we know that thing had an elephant snout? How do we know it had a little trunk going on up there? And it's because of the position of those nostrils. Now, I did find reference to an older theory that uh, this positioning of the nostrils meant that it had uh, its nostrils had lips, which uh, ended up not being the the theory that everyone stuck with. Because I mean, you can't even find an artist illustration of what that would have looked like, and uh, it's probably just as well because it sounds kind of horrifying. Unless maybe Picasso had had illustrated yeah. it. So yeah, let's turn our attention now to a very very cool glyptodont 
And this is something that is called Data Chorus. Yeah, Data Chorus is pretty uh, pretty awesome. And I think I had a toy of this guy. So, and, and everyone will probably recognize this one because it's certainly an outlandish example of an extreme mammal because nothing really quite looks like it today. Uh, first of all, I mean, there are shades of it, shadows of it in some animals, but nothing mm-hmm. quite like this. First of all, armored suit. So I'm thinking of a tortoise here, like a yeah. giant tortoise. Yeah. As big as a car. Yeah, kind of, yeah, very armadillo-esque in a way, except harder. Like you can, we, we have remnants of this thing and mm-hmm. like a child can climb underneath it. Um, so for starters, yeah, covered with armor and then bony club at the end of its tail that looks like a medieval mace. Yes. Yeah. I saw that and I was like, that is an amazing, I mean, you look at that example in nature and, and to know that humans fashion tools that were similar is just amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, and whether or not they had the reference point. Like. Yeah, whether or not they had the reference point or not, or it just came out of their imagination. Right. That's what I think is so cool about this guy. Um, now, so, now, a tale like that, of course, right, it raises the instant question, yeah. what did it use it for? Because we look at it and we instantly think, oh, it's a mace. I bet he swung that thing around. Or she, I keep using he, but I'm, I'm, I'm going back to my old uh, childhood uh you know, and you were inhabiting with the, dinosaurs the perspective. And I, yes. yeah, I imagine them all as males. Yes. So he or she, we would think, oh, they must have swung that mace tail around and just clocked enemies left and right uh, while uh, the creature was trying to, to eat its, uh, its its vegetation. But it, it's one of those things where we have differing theories about what it consists of. Yeah, well, there's an idea that it was used to uh, thwart would-be suitors, right? Mm-hmm. So you would wrestle with your tails and may the victor win the spoils, right? Yeah. So it's a little bit just like elk locking horns, right? Yeah. Um, but then there's also the idea that it was used as a weapon to try to defend itself. And then demolition. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, um, I guess I do like the idea that as weird as this creature looked, uh, it was so sexy that it had to literally fight uh, suitors off with a spiked club. Well, yeah. So that's my interpretation. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the name actually means pestle tail, re- re- referring to how if the spikes were removed, then the tail would resemble a pestle. Oh, so you just have to hook it up with a little mortar? Yeah. And then you can just grind some ancient herbs? Yeah. There sure. you go. Okay. Uh, its stomping grounds were modern-day South America, as were most of these animals, by the way. Uh, South America seems to be... The epicenter of and it. Pakistan's got some winners as well. That's true. Lived as recently as 10,000 years ago, and that's why we have some really great fossilized remains of its shell. All right. Next on the list is uh, is one that I was really amazed uh, amazed by when I was looking at the pictures. Uh, there are a number of crazy elephants that pop up uh, in your in anyone's exploration of prehistoric mammals, and we're going to get to some other crazy ones as well. But this one uh, is, it, in a way, it. it it's not that crazy because it basically it looks like a modern elephant, but with shorter legs, and it would have been a woodland pachyderm roaming through Europe and Asia. It's about mm-hmm. ten feet tall, three meters. Uh, but the uh, Ananicus was really the it could have been the ultimate war elephant. Like you just look at this thing and you're like that is a that is a born war machine, the Anan- the Ananicus, because uh, it had. 10 to 13 foot long tusks. That's 3 to 4 meters, and that is nearly as long as the rest of the creature. So imagine an elephant mm-hmm. with just enormous tusks, tusks that, that go out straight uh, the, the length of its own body, just javelins of tusks. That's what I initially thought of as javelins, and mm-hmm. I sort of imagined it running and trying to do its little Olympic sport. Or like, You'd think it would just, like at the end of the day, the Ananicus would just have to set aside an hour or two just to unskewer 
the creatures that's, that what nest I, with that's it. the other yeah. thing as i imagine yeah shish kebab of enemies piled up on these tusks um and obviously it would would have been great for sort of warfare or fending off mm-hmm. uh, other animals but it also would have been really helpful in digging digging oh, roots yes. up digging mm-hmm. plants up exactly although i feel like if you're this animal you feel great about everything head on yeah. Right, you feel really protected, but everything else, and because it's got to be unwieldy to try to move these tusks around, so I would feel very uh, vulnerable in the back. Yeah, I realize that with all these, I cannot look at pictures of prehistoric uh, mammals or dinosaurs without falling back into this childhood. Uh, thinking where I'm like, oh, how would that one fight that one? Yeah. Well, well, I'm playing playing like battle matchmaker sure. with each of these. Like, oh, what would the what would it be like if an, an Anakus uh, were to actually square off with uh, with a tri- Triceratops? You know, so. Well, let's let's go through the other animals and at the end of the podcast, let's try to figure out what the, the fantasy square off would be. Okay. Although that's pretty good right there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the next one I want to talk about is a giant, giant rodent. Yeah, if there is ever a rodent of unusual size or R-O-U-S, uh, this is the guy. Yep, Telecomus giganticismus. It comes from the late Miocene epoch, uh, about 11 million years ago to 5 million years, um, Argentina, the size of a small rhinoceros and could weigh up to 3,500 pounds. Yeah, seven foot long rodent, the largest of the dinomyids or the terrible mice. Probably the largest rodent ever to walk the earth. I mean, the size of a small rhino, like a big hairy hippopotamus. Yeah, that is six feet long. Yeah. Okay, well, 6.6 inches, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Two meters long. I mean, again, I know that um, it's a sort of anthropomorphizing that I'm doing, Uh but not really. But really, if you look at the rodents that exist right now and you try to imagine them, you know, six foot, six inches long. Yeah. This was a, just a brute of a rodent, and uh, and one of the more extreme examples you can find. Uh, it, and it's a testament to rodents that that two of them made the list. We have both a horned rat <laughs> and a giant rat. So there you go. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will finish this list. We have some some more amazing creatures to run through uh, before it's all said and done. So stick with us. All right, we're back, and we are now moving on to one of my all-time favorites, uh, just in terms of just sheer weirdness that you encounter the first time you crack open a, an illustrated book of prehistoric mammals. I'm talking, of course, about uh, old platy, platy belladon, uh, ten foot high, three meters, um, pachyderm, roamed Europe, Asia, Africa, known for his shoveled teeth. These are Flattened tusks that form a shovel-like projection mm-hmm. from the bottom of their their mouth. It, in a way, it looks like weird um, inverted buck teeth coming out, and then on top of that, a very flat trunk. So it's just about the weirdest, like drug-induced idea of an elephant you could possibly think of. Uh, and of course, it already existed. Um, yeah, it's it, you know what is amazing is if you look at a picture of a shovel mm-hmm. and you look at a picture of its mouth mm-hmm. and the lower jaw, you see the same exact design, narrow at the top and then fluting out at the bottom and then capped off by two squared off incisor teeth. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like a spork. 
So you look at this guy, you look at these shovel teeth, uh, tusk rather, and you wonder how does this guy live his life? What is this adaptation gaining him? And uh, to understand that you have to realize what kind of world uh, uh, Platy would have lived in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, a world of grasslands and winding shallow rivers full of plant life. So the theory is that uh, Platy would grip the plant life between his flattened trunk mm-hmm. and those uh, flattened tusks. After shoveling into it, and then then rearing up would rip uh, a, the plants away from the mud, and then use the, um, the the trunk to pull it into the mouth. Yeah, there was this idea that it was just there, uh, just to shovel things up, right? Yep. After all, we're talking about a creature that's two tons, um, a lot of food that has to be shoveled into it. Uh, but those teeth, those teeth may have been used as a saw because they're they're uh, split down the middle, right? Oh, if yes. you look at the mm-hmm. picture, that's what makes it look like two teeth. The idea is that that's uh, that's where the plant material could be captured, and then sort of the the friction of those teeth could then saw it. Yeah. Now this creature, though, uh, is again highly specialized. So that also makes him incredibly vulnerable to environmental change. Uh, I think in the last episode I made the the the, the business example of a shop opens up during the height of the bacon baked goods craze and is selling bacon flavored donuts, literally like hotcakes, I guess. Um, Selling these like crazy, and as long mm-hmm. as as the fad is really let's bacon flavor everything and let's eat bacon flavored donuts, they're going to make just lots and lots of money. But then when that falls out of out of favor, when people realize that that's a gross way to live your life, then no, then that business is going to fail. Likewise, with these guys, with Platy, uh, there comes a time when this uh, the, there is just not abundant winding shallow rivers full of plant life uh, to to feast upon, and so the form dies out. It's true. So as we had talked about in in the first episode, mass extinction can happen for a number of reasons. It could be, and we have seen instances of human hunting, uh, knocking out quite a few creatures, but also atmospheric changes, as you mm-hmm. just discussed, a comet hitting. There are all sorts of things that an animal must be able to adjust to and probably can't do so within the limited amount of time that they are, you know, present or that particular uh, subspecies is present. Yes. Now, we have basically one creature left on our top ten, but we have another one that was included as, a, as kind of an honorary mention. So we want to we talk about, about this creature first. Uh, we're, of course, talking about the giant sloth, the megatherium, uh, 20 feet high, 6 meters, uh, roamed around Bolivia and Peru and weighed as much as 3 tons. Yeah, so, I mean, can you imagine 6,000 pounds coming at you, covered in dark hair, Huge claws, and it could walk on its uh, hind legs like a bear. Yeah, and it would eat you alive uh, if you were a tree. It'd swallow you whole. If you were vegetation on the top of the tree. Uh, because this yeah, this guy could rear up on those hind legs, use those three-clawed forefeet to grab onto uh, some, some tree limbs, and then just start grazing the treetops if they were in, in reach. Yeah, lived as recently as 8,000 years ago, and ground sloths are members of the South American group that Xenartha, which contains modern tree sloths, which we've talked about quite a bit, mm-hmm. anteaters and armadillos. Yeah, it's an incredible specimen, and I understand basically just would poop in caves like crazy, too. Well, you know, poop was uh, quite a topic, uh, you know, when we discussed tree sloths, modern yeah. day ones, because mm-hmm. as you know, they, they spend about a week up in the treetops and then they come down once a week to yeah. defecate. It's, a, it's an interesting creature because in, in basic form, 
and the illustrations that we have of them based on the, the, the skeletal evidence, uh, it essentially looks like a giant sloth. If you were if you were to say, hey, I wonder what a giant relative of, a, of the modern-day sloth would look like, this is what you would draw. But uh, the way it, it lived its life was was probably rather different. You know, again, it's mm-hmm. not climbing up in it's the not trees. Ar- it's not arboreal, obviously. Right. Yeah. Uh, but those claws, those curled claws, which are sort of a benchmark of, yeah. of, of the um, sloth, are just amazing. They are. So that's an amazing creature. But the final one we're going to get to on this list is uh, is really even more amazing and is is definitely one of like the top examples of you know browsing through illustrations of prehistoric mammals you see this thing and you just you, you almost cannot believe it. Like in when I even when I look at, at images of this creature today I can understand a little bit the mindset of a person that would just completely reject all of this science and say <laughs> yeah. there's no way that could exist. This is, you're just making all this up. Because uh, we're, of course, talking about the enormous Indrisotherium, which is a rhino-like, hornless, giant, horse-looking, just behemoth. It is 20 tons, about 40,000 pounds. Uh, it, it, it's horse-like in the neck, I think, and somewhat in the face. Yeah. Although it's got a lot of rhino in it. And evolved from an earlier five-foot-tall relative called a hyracodon. Which, uh, which again, and, and just in when you start looking at all the, these these evolutionary examples and how they tie together, uh, it, it's always really difficult to wrap our our minds around the, the the periods of time that are that are transpiring between these forms. But it's 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 just blows my mind to, to think that this this enormous giant, this titan, uh, evolved from something that was just five feet tall. Well, yeah, and you know you're familiar with what we know as the largest. Uh, land mammal now, an elephant, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't really blow our mind. But if you were to, you know, bundle four of those together and come up with this creature, yeah, it is just enormous. It's like and an elephant Voltron, this creature. It is. Um, it was an herbivore, and it lived in the forest of Central Asia between 34 and 23 million years ago. Yeah, its teeth are really cool, too. Um, I mean, you look at it, and you barely even notice it has a mouth. It's so enormous. But if you were to take a look at its teeth, uh, it only had two front teeth on the top and two below, and the upper pair pointing down like tusks, and the lower pair were pointing forwards. And it probably also had a long, flexible upper lip, which allowed it to graze 26-foot uh, treetops. Now, I mean, you probably... Thinking, okay, it's huge. It's you know, it's twenty tons, forty thousand pounds. It's got to shovel a ton of vegetation into mm-hmm. it. It's an herbivore, so most likely when the environment changed and when it didn't have enough to forage, it went by the wayside. Um, I mean, you look at a creature like that, and that's pretty obvious that that might have been the circumstance. Yeah, and this uh, creature lived in uh, Pakistan, uh, also China. Well, when I go to China later this year, I'm going to keep an eye out <laughs> just in case I see one. Um, <laughs> Well, you've stood under a, a replica of one, so yeah. now you're pretty familiar with it. Yeah. And, um, you know, anytime I think about this creature, too, I can't help but think of Stephen King's The Mist, which is a, an awesome novella that he did about, like, this mist rolling in and has all these strange creatures roaming about in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point, they drive a vehicle under this enormous uh, quadruped. It's, at least I think it was a quadruped, stalking across the uh, the, the nightland here. And... Uh, and, and that one always reminds me of this particular creature. Also, the Adats in Empire Strikes Back, the big mm-hmm. four-legged walkers, yeah. those were supposedly based on this creature as well. Ah, uh, that's interesting. I'm yeah. trying to think about whether or not you could drive a car underneath it, um, from um, what I remember. Maybe a smart car. 
Yeah, I think you, yeah, I think you could based yeah. on because because there are some some illustrations out there of like paleontologists standing next to it uh, yeah. as uh, one possibly could what that would look like and it's again just towering just dwarfs us and and really just it's just a mind blowing thing to think about that these creatures once roamed the earth in small close knit families and now they are just part of the ninety nine percent yes but hey we're the one percent we're still we're still alive <laughs> we are still uh, a uh, a species on this earth. We haven't quite uh, seen an end of that yet. So, uh, fellow humans, if you have uh, some thoughts on this uh, excellent list that we've put together, I'm going to go and say it's excellent. Uh, since it- I think it is. Oh, you, we did. Did you uh, decide on a matchup? Are you, oh, are you still a, going with oh, Anica, Anicus uh, versus T Rex? Well, um, well, Anicus. Uh, let's see, Anicus versus another mammal on our list. That would be that would that be would be ideal, wouldn't it? I don't know. Um, hmm. I guess uh, I might go with. Mm, this is a tough one. Well, you know I'm not going to put my Macrania. Yeah, well, see, the thing is we have some spiders cool. on this list, and then we have some lovers on this list. You know, like like old uh, Platybelodon. I think he was more of a lover, and I'm not going to put him in there against <laughs> Anicus. So, um, I don't know. I, I think that I might, the Epigallus, a horned uh, mm-hmm. rodent, I think that that's a smaller, scrappier yes. extreme mammal, and perhaps it could do some damage. Okay. Yeah. All right, I'd... I'd, I'd see that. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd play that out with a pair of plastic uh, creatures um, on the living room floor. All right. Oh, yeah. So, uh, fellow humans, uh, fellow one percenters uh, of the uh, mammalian existence, um, let us know what you think about this. Uh, granted, these were our personal picks, uh, the ones that called out to us the most. So there are it, many, many, many. So there, yeah, there are many, many more, and there's some that almost made the list, uh, especially when you get into the weird pachyderms, and oh, there are a whole bunch of rhinoceros uh, relatives that had mm-hmm. crazy horns as well, and I would have loved to included some of those, but uh, but we had to leave them off. So let us know what your favorite uh, extreme prehistoric mammal is. Uh, we would love to hear from you. You can find us online in a number of places because we basically exist online. Uh, for all you know, we don't even exist in the flesh. But you can find us at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's the mothership. That's the main page. You can also find us on Facebook, where we are Stuff to Blow Your Mind. You can find us on Twitter, where we are Blow the Mind. You can find us on Tumblr, where we are, we are also Stuff to Blow Your Mind. And finally, you can find us on YouTube, our video series, which uh, everyone seems to be enjoying. Our handle there is Mind Stuff Show. You can always drop us a line, and we love it when you do, at BlowTheMindAtDiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 